Hello and welcome to a new episode of the podcast of the Spanish Language Division, SPD, of the American Translators Association, ATA. Hi, I'm Andy Benzo, co-host and co-chair of the podcast committee. On this occasion, Gloria Cabrejos has the honor to interview Carola Berger. Gloria is an English-Spanish translator and editor specializing in several technical fields, including oil and gas, energy, mining, and the environment. Gloria joined the ATA and the SPD in 2015 and began volunteering in several committees. She belongs to the Leadership Council and is currently the editor of Intercambios and Intercambios Online, SPD newsletter and blog, respectively. Carola Berger is an ATA certified English into German translator with a PhD in physics and a master's degree in engineering physics. She specializes in the translation of technical patterns between English and German in the fields of robotics, electronics, artificial intelligence, engineering, IT, and related subjects. Carola currently serves as the administrator of the ATA's Science and Technology Division and as a webmaster on the board of directors of the Northern California Translators Association and ATA chapter. Hi, Carola. Welcome to the Spanish Language Division podcast. We are happy to have you here as our guest for episode 11. Well, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Well, let's begin with our first question. You are the current ATA Science and Technology Division Administrator. Please tell us briefly about your professional background and how did you become involved in GATA? Well, regarding my background, um, it's kind of a circuitous route. Um, more than 10 years ago, I became an, a translator almost by accident. Before I was a, I become, became a translator, I was a theoretical particle physicist. This means I did a, a lot of math and even more programming of simulations and such. And for a variety of reasons, I was looking for a career change, um, but the standard alternative career path of theoretical physicists didn't, just didn't interest me. I did not want to become a quant on Wall Street or a computer programmer or some manager in the IT sector. And then accidentally, somebody I knew at the time was looking for an English into German translator to provide a first draft of a book translation. And I'm a native German speaker, so I figured um, I'm going to try. Yes, you heard correctly. My first ever translation <laughs> was a whole book. Um, this is not entirely as crazy as it sounds, because I knew that the translation was not going to be published as is. The translation was uh, going to be used as a first draft for the corresponding book in German, and so that ha was in 2010, and now I'm a translator. As for the ATA, uh -huh. um, I became an ATA member not too long after that, and in 2012, I decided to attend my first ATA conference in San Diego. And for a variety of reasons, I also decided to submit a presentation proposal for the science and technology track, because they had just discovered the Higgs boson, 
which is a new particle that they were looking for, and the Higgs boson was one of my research topics. So I figured this might be a good topic to give a presentation to at the ATA conference. And as a physicist, I had attended dozens of conferences and given um, over a hundred presentations all over the world. So giving a presentation at the ATA conference was also not as crazy as it may sound, even though it my, was my first, first ATA conference. And then my proposal was accepted, even though I was a first time newbie attendee. And then I walked into the conference and the science and technology track and had my pink newbie ribbon and the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. And this is your first podcast, right? Yes, it's my first ever podcast. So lots of well, firsts here. <laughs> yes, we are honored. Um, now let's go to the main topic of our interview. Online scams are on the rise globally, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic started because most people are conducting business online. What can you tell us about this issue in relation to the translation and interpreting industry? Well, here I have to say that I'm not only the ATA Science and Technology Division Administrator, I'm also the current webmaster of the Northern California Translators Association, NCTA. Oh. And in that capacity, I always get inquiries and reports about scams. And since the pandemic started, I have definitely seen an uptick in scam attempts. So in terms of the NCTA website, I was able to add additional scam deterrent measures. Um, but I've also recently received reports about scams that specifically target interpreters, and that's new because interpreters hadn't been that much on the target list for scams before the pandemic, because before that, interpreting assignments were often in person, and it's a whole lot harder to scam somebody whom you meet in person. Now, of course, due to COVID, everything is online, and interpreting is done remotely. So interpreters who hadn't been targets before are now new targets for these scammers, and because they're new targets, they oftentimes don't know about all the scams yet. Mm, yes, now remote interpreting is increasingly becoming the norm for spoken translation. Um, regarding translators and interpreters, we hear how scammers are taking advantage of new technology and are getting smarter and more sophisticated to get our information or make cash release money. How can we protect ourselves and be on the alert? Well, for one, um, never give out too many personal details. So in the US, when you're asked to fill out a W-9 form for contract work, don't use your social security number for that. Use something called an employer identification number or EIN for short, especially when you're dealing with people that you've never met. So despite the name, um, freelancers, sole proprietors, etc., we all can get an EIN. So you can get an EIN for free from the IRS website and the whole thing takes only a few minutes. So just go to the IRS website, search for EIN and then fill out the form, click a button and you have your EIN that you can use on W-9 forms instead of social security numbers. 
And then, of course, the standard online security precautions always apply. Never click on any strange links. And when in doubt, check out the person or company that you think you're dealing with and look in your favorite search engine. Ask around, ask in professional forums such as the ATA Business Practices Discussion Forum. Use sites like Payment Practices or the Pros Bo Excuse me, Pro-Z Blue Board to check out agencies. And, huh. and of course, educate yourself about scams and their latest variants. So I have given an ATA webinar in July, which is on the, the ATA website, which you can access for free on demand. So you can watch it anytime you want. And I've also written three articles in the ATA Chronicle which are also available online for free. Just go to the ATA Chronicle website and search for the topic scams, and then you get those to those articles. Uh, because in the case of scams, knowledge is always the best defense. So the more you know, the less likely it is that you fall victim to a scam. Hmm, that's good to know, Carola. Um, scammers can easily fake company logos and graphics from well-known websites to commit fraud. What are some concrete signs we should be looking for when receiving an email requesting our services to make sure that the email is from a legitimate business? This is a really, really good question. And actually, the reason I ended up writing all these articles for the ATA Chronicle and presenting this webinar because many, many years ago, I fell victim to a scam that involved email spoof. This is called email spoofing, and I fell victim to an email spoofing scam, and they were impersonating a reputable company, but I was dealing with some scammers. So email spoofing means that somebody is impersonating somebody else and pretending to be sending that email from that somebody else's account. And this is actually not as complicated as it may sound because the from email address that you see in your email program is just a label, just like uh, you would put a label on a physical piece of mail that you send um, through the postal service. Mm -hmm. You can write whatever you want as the sender on the envelope. The postal service is not going to check if, if it says Santa Claus, Captain Picard or whatever. They won't care as long as the recipient address is correct and you have enough postage. And the same is true for emails. So the from address is just a label and can easily be faked. The important thing here is the reply to address. Mm -hmm. And some um, email programs don't show that by default. So you have to actually um, go to the, your settings in your email program to show the entire email header. So that's the whole head thing um, to see that reply to address. And if the reply to address is not a company address, but you think you're dealing with a company, but the reply to address is like something like Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail, and other free email addresses. And even though the email uh, seems to come from a large company, then it's a scam. So send that message straight to the trash bin. 
Um, of course, this does not apply to if you get an email from a private individual for, you know, personal document translation or whatever, because, of course, um, you know, I myself use a Gmail address for my personal, you know, correspondence. So, but if the reply to address for seems to be coming from an email that seems to be coming from a large company is a free email address, then it's a scam. And the other thing um, to watch out for in emails, and also lately, especially in text messages, is links. Mm -hmm. It's called phishing with a PH, or where the scammers, again, spoof a reputable company or organization um, to try to get you to click on a fake link that leads you to a fake website that looks just like the real website is, but is a fake website, and they try to get you to enter your login credentials and then steal your information from there. Um, the, there's text messages that are like that too, and this is not called phishing, it's called smishing because it's a text message, SMS. So when in doubt, don't click on any links in an email. So rather go to a browser and type in the the address yourself you know this takes a little bit longer but you know it's much safer um, and in an email program you can actually check where the link leads to without clicking on it if you hover with your mouse over the link uh, the email program would, will tell you um, where the link leads even though the text may say something else um, off the link so, but of course, with a text message, you can't hover with a mouse because there isn't a mouse. And especially on this note, for the people who are sitting in the US, there is a very recent phishing attack that impersonates the Small Business Administration. Because of the pandemic, a lot of small businesses and sole proprietors and freelancers have taken advantage of the disaster loan program that the SBA um, offered, uh, the Payment Protection Program, PPP, and the EIDL program. And some scammers are now sending out fake emails uh, saying there's something wrong with your uh, with a loan and you need to log into your loan account immediately and, you know, fix something. And those uh, fake emails link to a website that looks exactly like the Small Business Administration's website, except, of course, it's fake. So please watch out for these um, and other scams that go similarly. So in, in the webinar I mentioned, I explain in more detail how to actually look at emails more closely to figure out whether they're real or a scam. Yeah, so we have to look for red flags and be very careful. Yep. Um, to be successful, translators and interpreters cannot afford to live off the grid. Therefore, how important and how effective is it to choose a secure password to protect our personal information? Well, this is definitely an important part of your cybersecurity strategy. You don't want your business website or business profile hacked and stolen, and you certainly don't want people to empty your bank accounts. And, um, even though it's probably not the end of the world if your social media accounts get hacked, but you know, for translators and interpreters, uh, a good reputation is important for our business. So if you get hacked there, I wouldn't want that either. So 
Therefore, I recommend choosing a different password or passphrases and login information for all your accounts. Because in the event that one of them gets hacked, the others are still safe. And some of these hacks may not even be your fault at all, but you know, some companies just divulge the stuff accidentally, and then you know, if if they, some hackers steal your credentials in from one company and you reuse the same credentials everywhere else, then all those other accounts are vulnerable vulnerable too. And of course, nobody can keep track of like hundreds of different login information, so you may need a something called a password manager. There you store all your pa different passwords for different sites, but you only remember a master password. And that, of course, then needs to be really, really, really secure. Um, and the FBI actually doesn't recommend passwords anymore. They recommend passphrases. Passphrases are just combinations of multiple words into long strings of at least 15 characters. Because they're words and not random characters, you can remember them somewhat easily, more easily, but they, these passphrases shouldn't be a whole sentence, just some random words strung together. And another option is, that the FBI recommends is the so-called two-factor authentication. This involves that an authorization code is sent to a second device to authorize a login. So if I want to log in somewhere on my laptop, um, I get an authorization code on my smartphone, for example, to log in. So in either case, you should choose different passphrases or passwords for different accounts again. Hmm. SPD listeners are going to find this very useful. And Carola, these are our, our last two questions. If an ATA member is aware of a scam threat or if they have fallen victim to one, what action do you recommend taking in each case? Lastly, what would be your top tip to avoid incurring liability? Well, I really hope nobody falls victim to a scam, but if you suspect that a scam is going on, there are several places to report it. In, in the US, the FBI is in charge of cyber scams and crimes, and they have a form on their website where you can report those scams. Then also the National Consumers League, their website is called fraud.org, and they have an online forum to report scams. And of course, if the scam involves your bank account, Go to your bank and warn them and, you know, lock all your accounts and credit cards. And then, of course, please tell your colleagues if it's a new scam. Um, the ATA Business Practice Forum that I already mentioned is a really good place. And then there is the Translator Scammers directory. Um, the URL is translator-scammers.com where you can report such things. Um, the second question was, what be, would be my top tip to avoid incurring liability? Well, um, there are actually two tips. Um, first, as I already said, knowledge is power. So the more you know about these scams, the less likely it is that they actually get to you. And the second tip is, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, that's really all I can think of, and I would 
like to thank you very much for inviting me to the podcast. And if anybody has further questions, you can always send me an email. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, there's a whole lot of things uh, we have, have not had time to discuss. So please go to the resources. And I know the SPD also has a list with resources. And look through those and educate yourself. So and stay safe. Carola, um, thank you so much for being our guest for this episode. We are sure your recommendations will help SPD members and followers be aware of cybersecurity to try to prevent online scams. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. This was another episode of the SPD podcast. This podcast is the result of the collaborative effort of the SPD podcast committee members. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and check our webpage at ataspd.org. Please listen to all our episodes, ATA SPD podcast. Well, goodbye for now until we meet in our next episode. And remember, together we always grow. The Spanish language division is the American Translators Association's largest division. With members around the world, we help the world connect in Spanish. The SPD podcast seeks to help you move forward, evolve, and improve your business and your lifestyle as a language professional. Throughout these episodes, the members of the ATA Spanish Language Division and special guests will share ideas and actionable strategies for greater motivation, creativity, communication, and contribution in today's world.